0: Well, then I guess it's welcome to the first installment of the Mythology Project, which I'll have to learn how to say properly at some point.
1: (laughs) Might not be a bad idea.
0: Um, I'm Cecil. I will be sort of hosting, I guess, and I am joined by my husband and editor, Fraser. Hello. (laughs) Um, And the thought is that this episode will sort of be uh, the established like establishing uh, what we're doing, what we're planning on doing uh, that might well differ um, and uh, sort of to find our footing in in this whole uh, project that I have formed. <laughs> um, but yes it's a very fluid and changeable uh, idea because it will essentially, be a podcast for me to work through whatever interest of the week that I have yes. which varies a lot yes um, yes but first I think it's important to establish um, sort of our role in what we're doing um, because I find that it's important when you work with indigenous traditions that are still living, um, that you also have some sensitivity about your role as a researcher or as uh, your role as someone who talks about these topics. Um, My approach, which is where you and I differ, Mm -hmm. uh, is that I'm an academic, I am finishing I'm an academic in this field. I, I can see you're a little <laughs> that that was a a weird face there. Um, my approach is is that I have an academic degree in religious studies, or I am currently finishing my master's degree in religious studies. Uh, mm-hmm. So I have a very theoretical approach. I have a very specific way of treating texts, uh, which I would also like to get a little more into at some point during this episode. Um, but uh, I also because I've worked with indigenous people throughout my degree have some awareness of the problems of it being people like us who talk about these issues Um, because none of us are indigenous, we are both very much representative of colonizing nations (laughs) some more than others
1: I have no idea who you could be talking about there
0: Um, but also because my initial interest for Indigenous religion was actually through Religion of Greenland, uh, which is where I, am, like, as, as a Danish person, have the problematic role of uh, a representative of a colonizing power, um, much like we will probably end up talking a lot about. Indigenous people from areas where you, as a British person, are very much representative of a colonizing power. Yes. Um,
1: Most of the world's land area,
0: possibly. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Significant proportion of the population. (laughs) Um,
0: And I, I think when you do studies like these, or have conversations like these, or you put things into the world where you talk about indigenous religion, indigenous culture, indigenous people... Um, much like many other minority issues you have to separate out the importance of your voice as an ally versus the voice of the people you're talking about Um, and there does have to be some sensitivity because some of the things we'll be talking about are living traditions and uh, we'll definitely have to have a continuous conversation about how to treat that
1: yes Treat it with respect without going too far. Yeah. Almost going native, Yes. to, to use a term.
0: But yeah, uh, because I, I find that this idea that some scholars also have, and some laymen also have, if, of going native, also stems from a problematic romanticism. Of, mm-hmm. uh, and I probably tend to lean more on the opposite of that, where I become almost scientific about it so I can sometimes lose sight of the fact that these are actual people's living cultures because to me they are a field of study Yes. and that's I think why having conversations is important because we have to constantly talk about um, even though it isn't the the, the topic of our conversation there still has to be an element a space in our conversation for talking about the problematic histories because Mm. there are many Problematic histories.
1: There are very many problematic histories. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's also important to note that whilst you're an academic, I am very much not an academic, mm. and I'm sort of coming out of coming at this from. I know very little about this field of study. I have learned a few things or two from the last few years, just through Cecil talking at me.
0: <laughs> um. But I also think that's sometimes why it's important to have these conversations because I have my experiences running in academic circles that the language becomes very ingrown and closed off and to use a nice uh, religious studies term it's very esoteric and it's a very closed world for other people and that actually kind of frustrates me because I want my field of study to be something that we openly talk about. I also want there to be a a platform where we can talk openly about traditions we're not part of where we we talk about understanding things we're not part of and how we do that with people who are not in academia. Yes. And I I think that's why talking to you is very interesting because you are not in this tradition so sometimes you Stop me from using that really esoteric and specific language that I'm used to with other academics.
1: Certain st- certain subjects, such as um, such as religious studies, is generally quite seen as quite a boring and bit of a stuffy subject. Um, but that's definitely that impression has definitely changed for me over the last few years of you kind of talking about talking to me about these various things of the various stories and myths and especially during the last few months where you've been studying what you've been studying for your thesis. Yeah. and I think my my view has certainly changed on that and it can actually be quite really interesting but also quite a fun topic to talk about.
0: I also think that's sort of an approach many people have uh, to religious studies because many of us have the introduction through Christianity or a similar tradition because that's what we've grown up in, and uh, the relationship to religions like that can often be that sort of—it's—it's it's stuffy, as you said. It's—it's it's, yeah. it's going to church on Sundays despite not wanting to, and like it, its the same narratives and it's the same sort of traditions but i mean i've also read a lot of old testament <laughs> <to my> degree, <laughs> and, and not all of it's boring but um one of the things i suppose that that has drawn me to indigenous religions is that often they are oral so they're ever-changing and they're really entertaining because they're they're meant to be entertainment and I I find that really freeing, working mm. with these religions. But it's probably also why it captures your interest, because they are funny stories, yeah. meant to be funny stories.
1: They are, they are meant to be humorous stories for the purpose of being able to pass them down to future mm-hmm. generations, essentially. So the fact is that this, in a way, is just trying to make these things more accessible mm. and trying to kind of find the humour in these things whilst also keeping the respect. Yeah. Um and if we can do that with this podcast, then I think we have achieved something.
0: If if nothing else, we've just given me a space to ramble about whatever interests me and then you can tell me to keep it in the podcast and out of our private life. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, it does get a bit it does get a bit too much sometimes.
0: <laughs> um I definitely think there is a lot of interesting elements about how orality changes uh, storytelling, which is probably also why all the religions that interest me are, are mostly oral. Yes. Um, and I also think there's a lot of misinformation about a lot of indigenous religions or simply mm. lack of knowledge. And mm-hmm. I would like to create an, a platform where it's okay to ask questions mm-hmm. and where I. As much as everyone else, like as much as you and as much as anyone who listens, have a place to ask questions to learn more. Because I very much don't know everything. <laughs> I know very little. And I think um, writing my thesis over the last couple of months have really shown that. Yeah. Because once I started scratching at the surface of something, I started learning so much. And I'm still learning. Like, that's. I'm like what, four or five months into writing my thesis and I'm still learning about the myths I've been sitting with for four months. Yes. It's still new information <laughs> on a daily basis. Yes,
1: yeah, you you still come to me every day and go, oh, I've just realised this thing. Mm. I've just realised these four different myths or two different myths I've been working with for this entire time are actually the same myth. Yes. Just retold in a different way.
0: Yeah. But I, I think... Um, something that's often overlooked in in how we approach things like like uh, religious traditions um, is this like curiosity or like that we learn a lot more through asking questions than we do by learning fun facts. And I I think I I want to have well at least a space where I get to explore the questions I have. And I suppose that's also why going into this. I don't think I can promise beforehand what a podcast like this would be because I have no clue what questions I'll want to ask once I read a text. Yeah. No. And even when I have a specific question for a text, I often end up going somewhere entirely different with it once I've opened it. Yes. It's it's uh, very much a Pandora's box <laughs> <laughs> to uh, yeah bring up another example for mythology. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, yes.
1: And, and kind of similarly, what my kind of role in this is to ask those questions. Yeah. Um, from a non-academic point of view, to ask those kind of questions where maybe the academics might not immediately think of those questions, mm. but to kind of act as the layperson here.
0: Well, that's because sometimes a different set of eyes, you, you see something else. Like A lot of the times when... That's my experience, anyway, when we've talked about what I do, I guess, professionally, you've asked questions that I didn't think of and they have made me have to rethink something because that's a detail I didn't catch or that was a point of view I hadn't thought of. Yes. It's really important to also sometimes stop in your tracks.
1: Yes, it is.
0: Question what you're doing (laughs) (laughs) and why we're here and what I'm up to.
1: now is not the time for a <laughs> mental breakdown.
0: Um yeah and um as i, I we've been going through a bit uh, it it's going to also be a journey in questioning ourselves, questioning our point of view, questioning what we represent. Yeah. Um part of that also is questioning the words we use. Um that's something I know I've talked a lot about at home, and that I continue to have conversations with most people when they ask what I do about my choice of words. Um, I've written a whole section of my thesis about choices of words.
1: H- how long is that section? 10 pages? Uh, 50? No, no, just <laughs> think, just think, maybe three. <laughs> um,
0: but um, that's also something I wanted to introduce a little bit before actually getting into any of the material is now i have said several times indigenous people and that is my choice of words um even though i know that that's not everyone's preferred choice of words no um Um, i think it's the best one at hand so those are the words i use um and i will also put up like a little blog post if it's not already up with, with choices of words that i think are more or less problematic.
1: <laughs> yes, uh, yeah. It's because you use the word indigenous, whereas most people, I think, would use the word native.
0: It depends, um, because you you say most people um, mm. in anthropologist circles, you often hear Aboriginal. Um, yes. Which is uh, also uh, has native and indigenous and Aboriginal all mean the same thing. It oh. all means the thing that was there first.
1: I, I'm talking about, it. when I say most people, I'm talking about the lay people, yeah. the non-academics, those people yeah. who don't move in those academic circles. For most people, though, that, for that group of people, myself included, before I learned about this thing, would be, I would refer to them as the natives.
0: Mm. But that's probably also because your introduction has been through American uh, media. More than likely, yes. And in the US native is the preferred term yes but that's one of very few places where it is um when i read academia i often come across the term amerindians which is the one generally used by anthropologists as well right. as Aboriginal. in canada uh, the where i'm writing my thesis about they tend to use aboriginal as the term in academia yeah I definitely sometimes think that's one of those places where we as academics need to dust off our books a little yes I don't think Amerindian is a specifically good term I don't think uh, there's nothing wrong with the term aboriginals but if I say Aboriginal to you I'm sure you have certain people in mind
1: yes certain people from the other side of the world um, Australia yeah basically yeah that's what I've always known them as, the Aboriginal Australians, mm. is how I've always had them referred to. Mm. Um, so I think just kind of learning these new terms is it's been it's been quite an eye opener yeah. for me actually. I use
0: the term Indigenous because that's the term selected by the UN in council with Indigenous groups, and I I think that at least for the time being it's the best word I have. Mm -hmm. Although, when talking about specific groups of people, I think it is significantly better to use their self-chosen terminology because that's their words, it's their language, it's their culture. Just like, I see it a bit like uh, we are both Europeans. Yes. But I am also Scandinavian. Yes. You're also British. Yes. And then under that, I am Danish you're some amalgamation of Scottish and English and Welsh or what you, What do you want to say? Yes. So I think as a common denominator I use the term indigenous and then there's layers under that in many different things.
1: Yeah, so I think it's kind of important to almost distinguish between what words we use and what words we don't use. and what context we might use certain words where Mm. we wouldn't use them in a more general context yes Um, yes
0: like when working with uh, Canadian indigenous people like I am in my thesis you often come across the word Indian because that is the text the law like the, the word used in text of law and therefore sometimes I might use the word Indian when talking about the Indian Act and the Canadian government's definition of Indians. Similarly, I plan to read a bit to you later. Uh, and, and that's a story told by a native person or an indigenous person using this, the term Indian to describe themselves. Um, and there's a, a whole thing to get into there uh, of like empowering terms that have been used uh, in a derogative manner previously mm. and the whole concept of queering um which is taking a term like queer folk have done with queer and then using it to describe themselves to take away the power of, of the negative power of that term. Yeah. And that that there's lots to explore there. <laughs> um so I think maybe for now the the this is where we should park that debate or mm-hmm. that discussion. Um and then return to it as it becomes relevant. Yes, um, I think
1: that's a good idea.
0: Yeah. Something else I thought I would do as, as a starting point is to talk a little bit about my theoretical background or uh, how I work. Um, because I have been schooled in a very specific approach. I would self-classify as a religious historian. Which means I read mythology, and I generally read comparatively, meaning I read many myths at a time and try to see what they say about something um, so i uh, I have yeah an approach where i I have a corpus of mythology, and I pick it apart to see what they have in common and what that says about a culture or um quite a lot of statements about the view of, of nature, which is probably going to be the common theme when talking about um, mythology. Mythology is, is this theme of, of ontology, which is the view on nature. And I, I feel like I should probably introduce some terms that I'm going to use later, because I'm going to heavily use them, <laughs> if I know myself. Yes. Um,
1: yes. Uh, do you want to specify where we're starting in the world? You want to, do, do you want to start that, or do you want to go into that later?
0: Well, I haven't really made up my mind yet, <laughs> um, but I definitely know that I will be treating Religion of Greenland yep. as one of my first, because uh, it's something that's generally, uh, there's a decent knowledge about it in Denmark, not as much as I feel there should be um, with our cultural history there, but it's also close to my heart. And then we will probably move on to something like Indigenous Peoples of the Americas. Yep. Because that's also something I'm working with at the moment. Something a lot of these groups have in common is that they fall into a specific uh, ontological grouping. Um, and I, I think that might be relevant to talk about, just because I know I will reference it later. And uh, this is where maybe it gets a little heavy. Because my, I've I've got my my footing in a specific tradition within anthropology, which is exemplified for me uh, through the anthropologist Philippe Descola and his descriptions of ontology, and I will most likely work from his categories and he's written a brilliant book called Beyond Nature and Culture, and I don't recommend reading it <laughs> because it's very... it falls into that esoteric group of academia, uh, but
1: yeah. yeah. I I have read bits of it and it is very much a... yeah, yeah, I recognize some of these words.
0: Um, but I think he provides some really interesting tools some really useful tools for understanding um, ontology or this sort of uh, relationship between nature uh, and and people. Um, and he sort of he introduces four categories based on two elements. He starts by presenting this split between uh, interiority and physicality. So in west in the west we'd probably say body and mind or body and soul or something like that and then he builds four categories around that Um, so the category a lot of indigenous religions um, fall into is the first category which he classifies as animism which is where you see the the body and mind of other beings as uh, that the the body might differ Uh, you don't have the same type of body as a dog or a plant or a mountain but the uh, interior the soul is the same so we're all persons we are we're all within culture there's no split between nature and culture does that make sense yes i i think so yes um whereas there's other categories like totemism which again is exemplified by the aboriginals of australia where um you see both your your physical body and your 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 interior, like your soul, as continuous. But within certain like segments of society, so you have these totem groups um, that include both humans and animals and plants, and you all within the group share both traits of physicality and of mind. But but there is a very distinct segmentation in. In cult in the in society yes but each segment is a hybrid between humans and non-humans
1: but also it's is it correct to say that this is not there is no hierarchical
0: oh no there can be
1: oh okay, okay. Uh, I, I wasn't I wasn't sure about that
0: uh, and similarly of course these are ideal categories so when you describe an animist society where everyone is seen as equal in 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 soul or an interiority or, or mind or what you want to call it um, there still can be a hierarchy in society like mm. a political hierarchy or, or differential treatment of men and women for example but when we're reading the myths we we find this idea that um, humans can marry dogs or um, well there's many stories that don't even include humans because they're not necessarily interesting Um whereas where we come from as westerners we solidly have our feet in a, a tradition that scholars calls naturalism where yeah. you see a very distinct like uh, split in interiority but acknowledge that there's a a continuous element to our physicality so like we've learned through darwin's theory of evolution that we came from the apes, and the apes came from the monkeys, and like that. There's that continuous f- part of our like physical bodies that that's come from one place. We are even like we know that we, at an atomic level, we consist of the same stuff, but we then create a very specific split between nature and culture. That humans have culture, and that makes us special. Mm. But this is also what creates a problematic. Ability to distinguish between the uh, quality of different qual- cultures And say my culture is better than yours Because we have already created a, a discontinuity in between And then the last category is maybe for for most uh, the, the most confusing Which is when you say nothing is continuous We're not continuous in body and we're not continuous in mind and our whole world is uh, put together of inconsistencies. And for me, I really struggled to understand this, till I realized that it is uh, exemplified by the religions of India, um, where you have this idea that we're all somehow, uh, like you have this the Buddhist wheel of life. We're all part of this same world that is segmented. It's split into parts. And we're all, like, the Buddhists as well as the Hindus have this concept of the world soul, that Mm. you have this brahman atman split, that we all have an individual soul that is discontinuous from other people's souls and has different qualities, but it all is part of this really complex puzzle of of, of, uh, discontinuity. And... The way we understand that, the way we comprehend that, is to uh, build a world of analogies. That we see things that are the same and try to like construct uh, meaning by saying these two things are the same because they function within the same relationship to other things. And it is hard to understand.
1: It, it is. <laughs> it, 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 it it is quite hard for me to understand that. Um,
0: I can I give an example.
1: Of course I was just going to uh, Yeah I, th- I could you define continuous in this sense here
0: Um
1: so can continuity of body and continuity of soul uh, what does that mean in this in this context
0: So when we talk about continuity in animism for example mm-hmm. that there's this continuity of souls it's it's that all uh, all beings act on the same level like we can all interact in the same way we can build the same relationships because we're all on the same our souls are the same Mm. whereas our bodies are different and that's why uh, seals must live in the ocean because they have the body of a seal and birds can fly because they have a physicality with wings that allows them to do that but you and i are bound by a different physicality without wings that leaves us stuck on the ground
1: yes but the The continuity, as as far as I understand, it does not mean we are we are literally part and one of the same soul.
0: No, no, no. It's not like um, like in where you have like this idea that it's this sort of holistic. We're all one with Mother Nature, and it's not. It's not that. No. It's just that we can. We are on the same level. We can all interact. Yeah. But then sometimes we can't because our physicalities get in the way yeah i quite like animism it's it really speaks to me i think it's a really lovely way to understand the world i think the way that we we in the west tend to understand nature is deeply problematic and i hate it and i I can't i can't like now that i've removed myself from it i can't put myself back into it even though i i'm I, i come out of this tradition i was raised in this tradition i i have a scientific degree in biology within this tradition um but I I understand that naturalism is easy enough to understand because it's how we see the world. Uh, yeah. Like we understand that uh, when we see a bird, that yeah okay we're made of the same stuff, we come out of the same tree of evolution. But that bird isn't as as smart as I am. It doesn't have language like I do, or like that. That's yeah yeah. That's where we come from. Yeah. And um, and the sort of other systems can be harder to understand, especially something like an, a system up of analogies. Yeah. Um, and it, it doesn't help that the pluralist religious picture of India is super confusing because there's so much going on. Um, I spend a year and a half learning Sanskrit and reading a text out of tantric Indian religion and I still don't know what's going on half the time. <laughs> but an example of an analogy uh, is something I've been working with in, in my thesis and completely taking it away from India and, and back to uh, indigenous people of Canada um, is this myth where uh, the, the trickster Coyote goes to uh, heaven and he meets a character uh, titled God Yeah. Um, maybe also here there's some influences from Westerners uh, most definitely I would say um, and then the two discuss who of them is the older brother because this is important for them to establish who's the older brother and they in the end establish that god is the older brother because yes coyote is super cool and powerful but he's got all his powers from god and then once they've established that and it, it, it's sort of tricky because there seems to be a hierarchy between the two if one of them is the older brother but it's not like in christianity where you have a creator who made everything and the rest of us just occupy his creation
1: Right, so it's it's not like God created Coyote.
0: That's never said there are other myths where he's titled the creator but again I think that might not be an original aspect of these cultures it might well be an aspect from elsewhere that's been adopted into these cultures Okay. Uh, of course I can't say with certainty um, but once they've established that the two are different and that one of them is a little more powerful than the other, Mm. then they agree that Coyote should go on back to Earth, where he is then the guy who's in charge, and then God, who's the older brother, will stay up in heaven, and he will rule over the skylands. They're not unequal as such. No. They're different. Yeah. And they rule over different territories. But their their jobs are analog. They do the same thing in two different places. Okay. Does that help? Like I, I think
1: it so. I think it does, yes.
0: Because I, I could also probably <laughs> blabber on with many examples from my, my experience with, with tantric religion, and I don't necessarily know if it would make anything clearer.
1: I, I'm not sure. It would certainly not at this point in time.
0: It'd just be a, a lot of talk about sperm, which might not be <laughs> helpful.
1: Uh, uh- It might help our listener base.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I think we'll get back to that at some point. I I think we will. (laughs) And um, I I suppose this whole thing is uh, an interesting discussion about cultural meetings, um, which interests me massively. It's also really important for (laughs) my thesis, um, which is why I, I suppose I have try to gain this awareness of who we are and wha- how we position ourselves and how we understand yeah. like what tools we have to understand yeah other cultures and and because you and i come out of a, a society with a naturalist tradition mm-hmm. we tend to see this very clear split between cultures that there's yes. them and then there's us and we're not the same that there's indigenous people and there's non-indigenous people and they're often there's some indication of superiority in that relationship Mm -hmm. Um, but that comes out of of our ontological understanding um, of the world and it allows us to build certain relationships with other groups of people something I definitely think we'll also come back to Um, definitely yes But um, whereas someone who comes out of an animist point of view or even an uh, analogous point of view would rather see it as you are the same as me but different like we we are we have this level of like equality between us but we are separate and yeah. that's okay like we can coexist because mm. we're, we're bound by something other than our interiority our soul our body our mind our culture something like our physicality and that's there's a lot more to go into there and there's lot more theoretical stuff to discuss, <laughs> which I think is better we don't, yes. um, and that's also why I brought along an example that I think um, puts it into words better than I could, and also yep. uh, sort of rolls back to this point of view of that my voice can never be more important than the voices of indigenous groups, um, and it's this... Um, story or, or telling by a man named William Charlie who comes from the Colville O'kanagan uh, traditions of Canada mm-hmm. um, British Columbia um, and it, it's I have this uh, uh, version of of a story he's told in, His original language and I then translated into English and I have that in a book of Salish mythology um, Where he describes this idea of When you're indigenous, you're a person of two heads uh, You had your own head and then Non-indigenous people came, the white people came and they started introducing you to their language and their culture and at that um such was fine or in his word it was then that two heads were born the Indians heads one white the other Indian both heads were good the white head that had white language and white knowledge and the Indian head was equally good these are our Indian values our Indian culture our Indian philosophy of life everything Indian was good before white people arrived here we had medicine men that took care of our relatives now I'm glad that there are two heads and I think that for me at least that, that's just something I've been sitting with today is uh, an interesting sort of approach to this pluralist world of many different cultures and I think sort of a beautiful sentiment to to end on this idea that that just because we come out of a tradition where our culture must necessarily cancel out or assimilate other cultures. That mm-hmm. doesn't mean that everyone else does.
1: Yeah, it's it's not necessarily a, a zero sum game. Yeah. In terms of religion, culture. Yeah. For everybody, like it can be in certain areas of the world, or yeah. traditionally has been in. Yeah. Especially places like Europe.
0: And that there's there's space. To understand each other and to learn from each other and to exist together without anyone necessarily being converted to the other. Mm. And I, yeah, I think that's kind of my introduction to this whole thing, which will then lead us into some conversations about some of these cultures, um, which we'll take in a later episode. Yes. Yeah
1: yeah I think that's about it yeah